Hi everyone, this is Ben Edwards and you are listening to the Crossing Over podcast, a podcast that is dedicated to exploring the human journey. And sometimes that journey takes us into some easy places and some fun places, um, and sometimes it takes us into some really hard places. And today we're going to go into one of those really hard places. And my guest today for the second time, so I guess that she will be the second most uh, frequent voice on the podcast up to this point, is my wife, Nicole Edwards. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Great. So uh, maybe we should start by um, identifying why we're doing this podcast now and and then it's my understanding that you have a story that you'd like to share with us. Yes, so October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. And so I do want to share a story. And it's not easy to share, so bear with me if I get emotional or I start to not be coherent or anything else that may come up. There will be grace. Okay, I appreciate it. So I'm going to share a story about a woman, and I want it to be known that I do have permission to share this story from this family. There was a woman and her husband who went in for a routine ultrasound at 38 weeks, um, found out that baby no longer had a heartbeat. As you can imagine, all kinds of decisions had to be made and this couple was still processing, um, if even beginning to process, the news that they had received. Uh, she called me right after the ultrasound, um, was given my information by the midwives at this hospital. They, kn they know the work that I do. And we talked and she told me what their plan was and that I would join them when they decided to go in and give birth to their stillborn baby girl. And so I, I met them at the hospital for an induction, which is very common in these situations. And this mother was very dedicated to the birth process, despite the outcome, and despite that things would still be very different. As you can imagine, throughout the birth, um, you're not able to give the same support in an excited manner that you would when you know that the baby is healthy and alive. Yeah. So as I was there, there were so many things that stuck out to me that I think anyone who either will be in this experience personally or support someone in this experience should know. And I was fortunate enough to have somebody guide me through this process and to have received some training before I even started this work that prepared me for what I would see there. But when you go to the hospital to have a baby and you're being induced, you're on monitors pretty much the whole time. Um, when your baby does not have a heartbeat, you're not on the monitors. And the silence in the room is, um, well, it's very difficult. And, you know, this whole time um, you're kind of hoping that they'll put a monitor on and you'll hear hmm. what you want to hear. 
And so I found myself throughout this time um, being so aware of that silence. And there were moments where we had to just let the silence be there, but part of my job is to kind of soften that experience. And even an experience like this that you really can't seem to soften, maybe you can just take away some of the rough edges a little bit. And so it was a very intentional move then to play some music and to have conversation. Of course, as mom's labor started to build up and it became active, conversation was not an option, but music was. And there were times throughout this labor where this, this laboring mother, as she would deal with the contraction, would start to sing the songs that were on this playlist that we had brought to have during her birth. And it was, it, it took me off guard a few times because there was still so much joy in the way that she would sing through these contractions that I almost forgot that this was a stillborn baby. Hmm. She was still so lost in this process of birthing and she was so dedicated and I've worked with other women who are this way too, who are dedicated to having control in this situation and still wanting to give their baby what they think is the best. Yeah. And that was this mom's thing. She knew that she wanted to get a hold her little girl but she had made plans for her birth for this little girl because she thought this was what was best. And so she was still taking that control and that desire to be a protective mother and applying it in this very hard situation. Yeah. So throughout her labor, she not once asked for medication, asked for relief. She was dedicated. And I I mean, I was blown away. Sure. I was just blown away. But as things got more active and we started to get closer to pushing, you could sense that there was some change in the room. Everyone was kind of bracing themselves for what they knew would be a hard moment. And with every birth that I work with where we know the baby is not going to make it or the baby has already passed in utero, there's still this great anticipation. You still don't know what the baby looks like. So there's still this anticipation, and you could feel that in this room. But it was also more bittersweet than any other birth. Because the last time that this baby was alive was in mom's tummy. And the last time that you heard the heartbeat was in utero. And so there's this letting go when you are Mm. pushing a stillborn baby that I can imagine is very difficult so when this mom got to pushing it took her hours when it shouldn't have Um, she had sailed through the rest of the contractions in her labor with incredible ease and this time this point of labor you could see the struggle um, which is hard to support someone in that because you want them to give birth yeah but you also know why they're holding back. But finally, mom got to the point where baby was crowning and head was about to be born and baby girl was born. And as anyone can imagine, instantly, you know, tears. The midwife, the nurse, me, um, mom and dad, you know, crying. And still the little baby, little girl just goes right into mom's arms And um, 
you know, they say her name out loud to everybody for the first time. And there's still this beauty in that moment. But it is by far, um, from what I can perceive, the greatest pain imaginable. And I, I say that from the perspective of a mother. So it just seems that way to me. And... Yes, so that is that story. There's so many more details to it, and as you can tell, I'm a little frazzled. Um, it's a hard story, and I've been in those places a couple times, and um, they're never easy, but I'm always so thankful that I am there. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if anyone is listening to this episode that had not listen to episode number one which is the first episode where you get to meet Nicole and learn a little bit about what she does she is a birth doula and um, she also has this role as a bereavement doula Mm -hmm. and the story that she's just shared is is one of her experiences as a bereavement doula yes and it's a it's a heavy one yes it is I can barely get through talking about it yeah, I think I think that's right. Yes. I, I think that that's the way that it should be. Yes. They're hard stories, but you mentioned at one point that there was this moment where it was it was also a beautiful moment. And I think that, that that's like the paradox of beauty. It doesn't have to be something that's enjoyable for it to be beautiful. Right. And um yeah, I mean that moment if it, it feels beautiful to me not having been there, just mm-hmm. hearing the story. But also, God, you just feel that pain. Mm-hmm. It's it's so real, mm-hmm. um, and I think I, I think every parent can imagine it if they haven't experienced it themselves. Oh, I think we all, maybe maybe not all, but uh, I would say we all imagine losing somebody, and I think especially in the journey of pregnancy and birth and parenthood imagining losing a child at any stage in that process is difficult but I think sometimes we do imagine it and that even imagination of it is overwhelming yeah well when I when I hear you share that story and um, and maybe especially because you consider yourself to be a birth and bereavement doula, it wouldn't be too shocking to know, and I think you mentioned as well, that this isn't the only story like that that you have. Right. And and it won't be. I mean, no. you know, even in the jobs that you're taking from this point on with some of the new opportunities that, that you have, that bereavement work is going to be a pretty big part of what you do within the birthing world. Yes. And... That, I have to just say, in like the best possible way, just floors me. Because I am the kind of person who is so uncomfortable with grief and pain of, of other people and even my own at times as well, that if I'm going to actually approach someone who I see who is crying, it is through every single ounce of power that I have within me to work through those reactions that just scream to me, turn around and run away because I do not want to be in that space. I do not want to put myself into a situation where I'm confronted by somebody else's grief 
and pain like that just feels, and I, I, I don't even know why that is for me. And yet here's you doing it intentionally, um, not even so much by chance because these people reached out to you because they knew mm -hmm. that you would be willing to do this mm -hmm. and they knew that you have this presence about you. And so I'm, I'm just wondering if you might share a little bit about what it is that maybe drives you to have that presence and, and, and whether it's something that you do intentionally or, or, or not. Sure. I, I feel like I would start with recognizing that I am the kind of person who, as long as I can remember, has not shied away or been afraid of, yes, tears, very deep, dark places, emotions. All of that feels very full and actually warm to me. And so I find that I gravitate towards grieving people and grief-filled situations. And I think that I do it unconsciously and unknowingly. There, are, there was this time that I was at a hospital assisting a client of mine who was having a healthy, live baby and everything was going well. And I went to the nourishment center on the labor and delivery wing to get ice chips and water and popsicles and all that I could get. And of course I notice right across from the nourishment center on the room, the little leaf with a teardrop on it. And mm. if people have experienced this or have supported people in this, then you know that that is the signal for hospitals, at least in Colorado, if not all over the U.S., that the people in that room, the family in that room is experiencing a loss, either stillborn or that baby will not make it long after birth. And I found myself awkwardly wanting to go back to that room or back to that nourishment center and just get more ice and get more stuff. And I had to remind myself to stay focused on the family that I was with. Yeah. But I couldn't help it. I went there and I stood by that door as much as I could. And at one point I got excited when I saw the family, obviously the grandparents, right outside the room waiting. And you could see the grief on their face. And so I approached them. I let them know I'm helping a laboring woman in this room. I gave them my cards. I let them know that if they need resources for support for themselves or for the family that was in there experiencing this loss to reach out and let me know. And I find myself doing that in so many situations. And I, I don't really know why. I feel like a creep. I feel like something <laughs> is, is kind of off with me. But I think, I don't know if it's my own life experiences that have made me more comfortable with that and have made me see how important support in those situations are. But I just keep wanting to be present for grieving families, really, and people experiencing grief in those unique settings like birth and yeah. infant loss. Yeah, and we've we've talked before about the fact that you wonder if it's a bit creepy mm -hmm. that you find yourself um, gravitating toward those those situations. And going back to my story about me having to wrestle all kinds of impulses that say run away 
to even begin to be present to somebody else. Because there are people like me in this world, I think that it's safe to say, and I've said this to you before, that it is incredibly important and it's it's a true gift what you offer when you come in as this presence who is not uncomfortable in this space yes who can be someone and not to give like a shallow like everything is going to be okay and you know all sorts of like one-liners that just don't help anybody but to actually be a presence not denying the pain, mm-hmm. not denying the suffering, but actually mm-hmm. affirming it mm-hmm. and and making the people who are experiencing it not feel like they have to apologize mm-hmm. for making you uncomfortable because very obviously they're not making you uncomfortable. And I right. think that on one hand, you can feel like a creep. And on the other hand, you're like, man, that's so rare. It's so rare. And I think anyone who has ever experienced that kind of loss would say, if they had someone like you there, they would say, thank God for this person. And if they didn't, they would listen to, to this story and say, God, where, where, where were you mm-hmm. when, when, when we were experiencing this? Yeah, and you I know? think so many people will ask me, so what do you do as a bereavement doula? And, but they don't ask me necessarily the same question about what I do as a birth doula. Hmm. And there's really very little difference. You know, I support... When women are giving birth and their baby is healthy and fine, I support every type of birth. You know, no interventions, no medication, epidurals, C-sections. I've done all of them. And it's the same with bereavement work. You need someone there to wipe your brow when you're sweating. You need someone there to hold your hand when you're crying. You need someone there to remind you to eat and to drink, to hold space to shush the nurses if they're coming in and having conversation because that's their workplace and this is a place where they are used to this every single day. Sometimes it's just guarding that space Mm. enough that they can experience whatever moment it is. And the same is with bereavement work. You lost a baby. You don't need people around you falling apart. Mm -hmm. What you need is people holding that space for you. And that sounds abstract because it, it is, but it's those simple little things. Massaging her and making sure that dad feels okay or partner feels okay in that space. Making sure that they are eating, that she's using the bathroom, that she feels heard, that her concerns for her well-being and what's gonna happen to her baby after baby is born. Are they gonna take the baby right away? Is she gonna get to hold the baby? Does she want to hold the baby? Does she want to take pictures with the baby? These things can still happen if they've experienced a loss. And so that's what I do. I do almost identical to what I do as a birth doula. It's just a little bit more quiet and sensitive and language is different, but it is holding that space. Yeah, it's all part of the journey. It's, It's not all, I mean, like I said at the beginning, you know, it's not all fun spaces, good spaces. You know, at times the space that you hold is going to be a grief space. Yes, yeah. And that's interesting that the grief space maybe doesn't look all that different from the joy space. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Wow. Okay. That's that's a lot. That's really good stuff. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm just kind of curious to go into maybe some more informative places 
Um, so would you mind, uh, do, you, do you know um, like how common this is? Like this, like these stories that you're telling, is it something that's a rarity or mm. is it something that's more, more common than maybe we might expect? Well, I can only speak to the statistics of what happens in the United States. In other countries, the statistics are going to be different, mm -hmm. of course. But in the U.S., when you're looking at the whole spectrum of pregnancy and infant loss, it's all more common than most people probably think. Miscarriage. You know, as many as one in four or 15 to 20 percent of pregnancies end in miscarriage. Roughly 80 percent of those being in the first trimester. Hmm. Stillborn babies. It's about 1% of babies each year, and that's about one in every 160 births end in a stillbirth. So that's, most people probably know somebody who has or will experience it. And I don't want to go too much into detail with this statistic because I have someone else that I would love to be on this podcast and to talk about this with. But these issues are even higher for our non-white counterparts. Non-Hispanic black women are two times more likely to experience a stillborn baby than, than a white woman is. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that needs to be recognized and addressed. And so that's something too that's unique to this month, hmm. is addressing that there are some, some issues that non-Hispanic black women in the U.S. are facing in terms of the well-being of their baby that white women aren't facing. But that's a whole different segment, but it yeah. still shows you these numbers are high, higher than we probably want to believe. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think it's important for us to know these stats? Mm -hmm. I think if we know the stats, we may be tempted to then become fearful. But I think what's more important is we can address that temptation to become afraid. But if we know these stats and we know these stories, we hear these stories of these losses, of these miscarriages, of these, of these stillborn babies, then we can respond with appropriate support. We can have appropriate support groups. Hospitals and birthing centers or wherever baby is going to be born can be better trained in dealing with these kinds of stories in a way that is warm and welcoming to that family so that their birth experiences or their miscarriage experience can still be surrounded with love and support. And then we can make sure that there are more therapists and, and professionals who are trained to work with families who are experiencing this kind of grief. We need more people like that. We need more people who are willing to go and to support them. And we need these stories to come out because people then will suffer in silence. And that's no way to grieve. Nobody should grieve alone. Yeah. And I think being aware of that risk and being aware of these numbers may actually even cultivate an appreciation for what we have right now and a way to live more fully during early pregnancy, second mm. trimester, third trimester, when our baby is born, to understand that, yes, this is risky. And if, and if we are one of those numbers, we need to have support and we will grieve and we need to grieve, but you're not alone. So maybe, 
I mean, of course, one of the things that I've heard you say before is that the stats don't change the fact that this will happen for some people. Right. Like, knowing it's a possibility is not going to guarantee that it's going to happen, but not knowing it also won't guarantee that it won't happen right. as well. Right. And so for the benefit of the people who are going through this and who will go through this loss, it's really important that we as a society um, normalize this space mm-hmm. um, and that we as a society maybe get better at walking alongside people so that people like me who have to fight those impulses to run away can can know that it's worth it to fight those impulses because this is an important space to help yes. keep sacred. Yes. So for those of you who are listening, this is the Crossing Over podcast, and you can find Crossing Over on Facebook at facebook.com slash crossingoverpodcast. You can find it on the website, crossingoverpodcast.wordpress.com, and you can find the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast apps. I've really enjoyed, I don't even know if, if enjoy is the right word, but I have. I have enjoyed this, this conversation, and I so appreciate the bereavement work that you have done and that you will continue to do because I do believe in it. I, I, I think it's, it's crucial work. It's sacred work. Mm-hmm. Um, so as corny as it might sound, thank you for, for doing it and for being willing to. Mm-hmm. Thank um, you. And so you mentioned a while ago that because this is so common, most of us are going to know someone who either has already experienced this or will. Mm-hmm. Um, if a lot of people are listening to, to this podcast, then probably someone who's listening has experienced this themselves as well. Um, maybe focusing more on those of us who are trying to learn how to walk alongside others mm-hmm. who are experiencing this kind of grief. Do you have any closing words for those of us who maybe are trying to stumble through what that looks like? Sure. I think my number one recommendation would be don't run away from it. To run to them. And if they've experienced a miscarriage, for example, still bring them meals still hug them mm. recognize their loss and and if you don't know what to say don't say anything and that applies to any of these situations of grief if you don't know what to say don't say anything bring a meal bring a gift card for some coffee send a card that just says you know that I'm sorry that you have to experience this and we love you or something like that and if you know somebody who is experiencing a stillbirth, then the same applies. You know, you go to them, and after the birth, you bring the meals. You ask them what the baby's name is. Hmm. When you talk about their baby, use the baby's name. From there on out, that baby has a name, and don't be afraid to say it and use it. Ask them if they have pictures, if they took pictures with their baby. Ask them if they want presents for the baby, get little gifts at the holidays, the baby's first birthday, baby's second birthday. Ask if there are ways that you can recognize this life. Because as you know, having children, 
is amazing. And you are proud of your children and you want people to see the joy that your children bring. And it's no different when the baby is not, when the baby is still born, because there's still joy that that child brings. So ask about it, ask about those things. And just, yeah, listen, you don't have to say anything. If you don't know what to say, don't say anything. Just listen, ask about the baby, bring them food and coffee. That is so good. Um, God, that, that just feels like such incredible wisdom to make it a priority to be in that space without the need to have the words to say. Yeah. And I think maybe that's where my hang up is, is that I don't, I, I don't know what to say and I feel like I have to say something. Mm-hmm. And so I have to beat that into my mind that I do not have to say anything, that nope. my presence here is the most important thing. And um, staying here in silence will absolutely be better than me saying some really stupid thing because I'm trying to um, yes. ultimately make myself feel more comfortable. Yes, that awkward silence is so much better than you just saying things that are not going to be helpful. Yeah. Yes. So I hope that that everyone who is listening takes that to heart because I think that's really important advice. It's really good and I think that it'll be a gift to anyone in your presence who is grieving um, if you're able to be in that space and in the way that we've just heard. And in honor, if, if you don't mind me doing this, in honor of what I just said about speaking the names of these babies, I do want to share names of babies that I have been able to witness and have known that have died in utero. Um, so this is speaking specifically to stillborn babies, but I recognize miscarriage and I recognize second trimester losses and many pregnancy and infant losses that I don't have the names to speak, but I want to speak these ones. Absolutely. I want to dedicate, of course, the work that I do and me sharing these stories to Magnolia, Merrick, Nora, and Aiden. I'm thankful for your presence on earth, as short as it was. Thank you for sharing all this. And for those of you who are listening, thank you for listening to the podcast. I know it was heavy, but I think it was very, very important. And I hope that you're able to to feel that as well. Go in peace.